first world problems. That's what we sometimes say in our family when someone complains. Maybe they complain about their favourite shirt not being washed or they don't like what's for dinner or the bus was late or their doctor's appointment was cancelled. First world problems. At least you've got clothes and food and buses and doctors. There's plenty of people around the world who don't have any of those things. You could be one of them. So stop complaining. That's what we mean when we say first world problems. Things could be worse. Today we meet a man with plenty to complain about. He hadn't been able to walk for 38 years. It's bad enough today with cars and wheelchairs and social security, but in those days it would have been terrible. But things could always be worse. What could possibly be worse than 38 years as an invalid? Well, I suppose there's an obvious answer, 39. And yet there is something. I'll tell you what's worse than 38 years as an invalid. It's spending a lot of that time hoping for a healing that's just beyond your reach. So close you can almost taste it, but missing out every time. It's perhaps the worst kind of torture. Starting every day thinking, perhaps today will be the day. But having your hopes frustrated again and again. Becoming more bitter and disappointed. That's what's even worse than 38 days and 38 years an invalid. It's what this guy uh, who meets Jesus has already put up with. What could be worse than that? Maybe you've suffered yourself. Maybe watch people who've suffered and you ask yourself, what's worse than that? It's the sort of pain that the long-term unemployed put up with. Application after application, interview after interview and each one finishes the same way, thanks but no thanks. And in the end you just stop trying because at least you don't feel like you're getting kicked in the face every day. It's the same thing childless couples who try fertility treatment go through. Each attempt builds up their hopes, maybe this time. So much emotional energy gets spent and every failed attempt is a letdown that takes huge courage to try again to risk being disappointed again. What could be worse than that sort of frustration? Well, there is something and that's what Jesus warns about in John chapter 5. It's hard to imagine but if we stop and think about it, the words of Jesus from verse 14 should send a chill down our spine. He says to the man who's just been healed, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Something worse. The chapter begins, Jesus is back in Jerusalem, another feast of the Jews. It's the Sabbath. Uh, John tells us Jesus is near the pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem, a sort of mineral spa with legendary healing powers Uh, maybe a bit like the hot pools at Moree in northern New South Wales or 
or maybe the mud pools in Rotorua, New Zealand. Uh, Bethesda means house of mercy and there are dozens of invalids hanging around the pool desperate for some mercy. Uh, Apparently every now and then the the waters would move or bubble Uh, and the legend was that it was an angel who was stirring the waters and that the first one into the water would be healed. Uh, If you have your Bibles open, you can see that that legend actually ends up in some uh, later manuscripts uh, and we have as a footnote uh, at the bottom of the page. It's not actually a verse 4 in the the verse you have, it's actually down the bottom uh, as a footnote. So you can imagine, if this is what the people thought, uh, it adds to their sense of desperation because if you see a few bubbles, it was just every man for himself trying to be first into the pool. And it seems like lots of the other invalids had friends or relatives to help. And there in the middle of this crowd of blind and lame and paralysed people, Jesus notices one man. And he finds out in verse 5 that he's been an invalid for 38 years. And Jesus asks, what seems like an obvious question in verse 6, do you want to get well? And the invalid, you'll notice, doesn't actually answer yes. He says, I've got no one to help me. It's not that I don't want to get into the pool first and be healed. He says, verse 7, when the waters are stirred up, you've got to be first in. And when I'm trying to get in, someone else gets in first. Maybe he thinks he's answering the question. What do you think? Why do you think I sit here every day? I want to be first. I want to be healed, but I just can't get there. Can you imagine how frustrating that is? You're convinced that these are the waters of life. You're convinced that this pool is the answer to your problems. But without, without help, you can't get there. And day after day, you're stepped over walked on, shoved out of the way by someone stronger or faster or someone with friends. Maybe you know people like that or maybe that's you. Someone who needs healing with chronic pain or or symptoms that you can't explain and no one can give them answers. They go from one counsellor to the next and one specialist to another, one treatment or one set of medications, question after question but never any answers. No one to help. Always the hope of relief but never the experience. That's this invalid. Perhaps he thinks Jesus is offering to help. Perhaps his answer means, sure, just hang around and then help, throw me in. But Jesus has something better in mind, verse 8. And and let me give you the, the literal words Jesus speaks. He says, rise. Pick up your mat and walk. And just remember that word, it's literally rise up, be raised. It's a word that's loaded with meaning in this passage. And at once, verse 9, in an instant, after the frustration of 38 years, he's cured. He picks up his mat and walks. No bubbles, no dragging himself across the hard stones, no more waiting, no more frustration. But you'll notice that's not the end of the story. In fact, it's just the start. 
because the problem is it's the Sabbath. And according to the Pharisees' rules, it's a day for rest, which means no carrying things. And so when the Jewish leaders see this guy who's been healed after 38 years as an invalid and he's walking and carrying his bedroll, they lose perspective really, don't they? They don't say, that's great news, you've been healed. They say, what do you think you're doing carrying your bed on the Sabbath? That's against the law. (laughs) And the guy says, The man who made me well told me to do it. It's his fault. He said, pick up your mat and walk. But he has no idea who Jesus is. Meanwhile, it seems like a crowd gathers, as they often do, around an argument or an altercation. It's the wrong sort of attention, so so Jesus uh, Jesus slips away in the crowd. He's gone, but he's not finished. Because a little later, Jesus catches him in the temple, which is a short walk away. He's healed him, but there's something much more important to get right. Verse 14, See, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now I wonder, what could possibly be worse than what he's been through already? It's like Jesus is saying, if he doesn't stop sinning, if he doesn't repent, he's headed for a worse fate than 38 years paralysed. They're scary words. There's something worse than suffering uh, in this life. And they contradict the comments I hear when somebody dies. The sort of comment, I guess, that's supposed to comfort the loved ones. They say things like, at least they're at peace now. Their suffering is over. And yet if what Jesus is saying is true, then maybe they're not resting in peace. Maybe they're experiencing something worse than the physical suffering of sickness and dying. It's a terrible thought, but Jesus is hinting at it. Stop sinning or you might find yourself facing something far worse. Because Jesus goes on to say, judgment is coming. Judgment. One of the two jobs Jesus has been given by his Father to do. We're down in verses 21 and 22. That's the bad news, judgment. But the good news is Jesus' other job, saving people. Judgment and saving, the two jobs God gives him to do. The logic is a little tricky from verse 16. It's about the relationship Jesus has with his Father. Uh, They're equal, but they're not the same. They're equal, but they're not the same. It begins with a discussion of what you can do on the Sabbath day. The Jews are persecuting Jesus because he heals on the Sabbath and because he told the man to carry his mat on the Sabbath. And then Jesus makes things worse. He says in verse 17, My father is always at work to this day, and I too am working. There was an age-old argument. Back in Genesis, God rested on the seventh day from all his work of creating. And so people thought, does that mean he rests on every other Sabbath? 
does God stop sustaining the world just because it's a Saturday? Well, it doesn't seem right. The, the earth keeps moving, the sun keeps shining, we all keep breathing, God is still on the job and that's what they decide. God keeps working on the Sabbath and Jesus agrees. He says, my father keeps working on the Sabbath and so do I because I'm my father's son. Like father, like son. You did the job your father did You learned his trade, so did I. Well, that just makes the Jews even angrier. Verse 18, from this point on they're determined to kill him because he makes himself equal with God and that's blasphemy. There's only one God, they believe. And they're right. Jesus is equal with God. And yet he goes on to explain he's not the same. Equal, but not the same. Now look at verse 21 and think back to those words Jesus said to the paralysed man about raising. Verse 21 he says, Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he pleases to give it. Jesus doing what his Father does. The Father raises. Just what Jesus said to the paralysed man in verse 8, rise up. Just as his Father is the source of life, Jesus is doing the same thing. He's giving life. At the moment it's just a taste of the life he gives, raising lame men or, or sick ones, not dead ones, but he's working up to the big one in chapter 11 when he raises his friend Lazarus and even bigger after that when Jesus himself is crucified and raised so that he can offer raised life to those who trust him, to any he's pleased to give it to. And he hints at these greater things in verse 20 when he says, Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. Raising a a paralysed man, that's nothing. There's much bigger raising up still to come. And Jesus will do it because he's just like his father. Like father, like son. Jesus is the one who does what his father does who says what his father says. He's the one who shows us God in a way we can see and touch and hear and understand. He goes on to talk about how how no one has a, a more reliable, a more solid testimony about what God is like than Jesus himself. Knowing God isn't a matter of guessing anymore. I spoke to a woman not so long ago and I think you may have heard similar sorts of things. She she said to me, I like to think that God is inside each one of us. And I felt like saying to her, well, where did you get that idea from? It's what she likes to think. That doesn't make it right. She's guessing or imagining or hoping It's ignorance and and blindness and guesswork. But Jesus says, I know better. I'll show you what God is like. He's the one you see when you look at me. 
Which means, verse 23, if you don't honour the Son, you're not honouring the Father who sent him. Which says something pretty significant to the Jews of the day who wanted to honour the Father and it says something pretty significant in our world today too where people say that Jesus is not God, where they say he's, he's just a good teacher who taught people how to love each other. I, I like that. But he's not God and he didn't save anybody from sins. This is Jesus claiming the power of God himself in this episode. This is Jesus demanding that people give him the attention and the honour that God himself gets. He's either delusional, crazy, or he's a con man, a shameless liar, or else he's telling the truth. There is no option that he's just a good teacher. He's either telling the truth or he's crazy or he's deceiving you. And we can see why all of this matters so much in verse 24. This is more than just theology, it's more than just opinions. Eternal life and judgement depend on understanding Jesus properly. Verse 24, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He's crossed over from death to life. A bit further down in verse 28, the same two options, life or judgement. Don't be amazed at this for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who've done good will rise to live and those who've done evil will rise to be condemned. Read verse 24 again. It's the heart of the Gospel, the good news about Jesus. The bad news, God's judgement is coming. The good news, Jesus says to anyone who hears his words and believes him who sent me. No matter how spiritually sick or weak you are, no matter how badly you've performed or how far you've fallen, no matter how helpless or for how long, he says, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life, will not be condemned, has crossed from death to life already, from that moment. That's what the official did at the end of chapter 4. We looked at chapter 4 last week but we didn't, con- we didn't uh, read that, the, the last section of chapter 4. Jesus gave him the word, go home, your son will live. And the man heard and believed and went and his son lived. And John says at the end of chapter 4 that That was the second sign Jesus did, the second miracle that pointed to what he'd really come for, to his death and resurrection and bringing life to all people. That official was a signpost for us to copy. Trust Jesus' word. Be saved. 
live. And that's why if you're a Christian, you can live without fear of judgement. Not because of how good you've been, but because of how saved you are. Judgement is real for Christians, it's just that we've been offered a pardon already. The judgement verdict has been sealed and written, acquitted, innocent, no price to pay, it's been written and sealed. The day of judgement for us will be one of vindication and recognition rather than guilt or punishment because we're trusting the word of the one who promises it and ultimately the word of Jesus who will pay the price to make it happen. And from verse 31, which we didn't read, just in case you're not sure you can trust Jesus' word, chapter 30, verse 31 to the end of the chapter, Jesus gives us some evidence. He presents some witnesses. This is Jesus the lawyer or Jesus the scientist presenting evidence. Jesus says, don't just take my word for it. Think, investigate, research. You see, that's Christian faith. A lot of people think it's Christian faith or evidence. You use your faith or you use your brain but you can't use both. But that's not right. Here's Jesus saying, use your brain. Consider the evidence and then trust my words. Faith based on evidence. So first of all, Jesus says, verse 33, here's here's the, the, the witnesses. First there was John the Baptist. He spoke about me. Second, verse 36, There's my work, there's a second piece of evidence. My miracles point you in the right direction. Third, verse 37, the Father himself testifies at Jesus' baptism or his transfiguration. An audible voice that people heard, this is my son, listen to him. And the Father speaks, verse 39, also through the scriptures that testify about Jesus and the Pharisees study them because they think that in the scriptures they'll find eternal life but they miss Jesus. They miss the salvation that comes from trusting Jesus' words and they stand under God's judgement and that's far worse than 38 years an invalid. That was the warning Jesus gave to the healed man. Stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. And he gives the same warning to us because he wants to save us. You think things are bad because you don't have a job or your kids are sick or your husband or wife ignores you or the roof leaks and there's no money to fix it or you're in constant pain. You might think things are as bad as it can get But you're wrong, says Jesus. What could be worse would be not putting your faith in Jesus, the one who raises people to life, and on the last day finding yourself condemned. That would be worse. What would be worse would be hearing Jesus and ignoring his warnings. 
What would be worse would be an eternity separated from anything good. But Jesus offers you and me something far better, life and salvation. Listen to his words, trust them. His testimony is reliable. Stand on his words, they're dependable and life-giving. Do that and you've passed from death to life already. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words of Jesus. We thank you for the confidence that trusting them gives us for this life, for our forgiveness, for the coming judgement, for our future, for our eternity. Please help us to live out this confidence as we live for Jesus. Amen.